Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Crime Con is going to be in Las Vegas in 2022, and it's going to be super lit. <laughs> we are pretty excited to be able to attend again and meet up with some of the folks that we met last year, plus meet some new true crime buddies, hopefully you. That's right. We'll be on Podcast Row with many other great podcasts. Plus, there's going to be tons of sessions, big personalities, and entertainment with plenty of opportunities to meet other like-minded folks. Please join us from April 29th to May 1st. And did we mention it's going to be in Las Vegas? Viva Las <laughs> Vegas! Tickets are on sale right now. Just go to CrimeCon.com and be sure to use the code Fruit Loops. That's F-R-U-I-T. L-O-O-P-S to save 10% and let them know we sent you. That's crimecon.com. Use the code Fruit Loops. We are so excited to meet you. This podcast contains adult themes and language and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 143, Bienvenidos Bitches and Buiti Pinafi. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight, cis, able-bodied, white dudes. What? No, ma'am. You're not going to believe this, but there are many... Many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because, wait a minute, it says here, hang on, the news is racist. 
<laughs> Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy, a black Latinx woman. And I'm Beth, and I just happen to be white. It's not her fault. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. That's right. 602-935-6294. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support the show and become a Fruit Loops patron. Yeah. So, who are we talking about today, Beth? Well, this is part two of our episode on Yu Young Chul, a.k.a. the Raincoat Killer. This subject was suggested to us by our Patreon, Francis, and was researched by many. And if you haven't listened to part one yet, just go on back and listen to it, and we'll meet you right back here. That is right. Now, before we get into it, how you doing? I'm all right. So my daughter and my grandson have gone back to North Dakota. So I'm sad about that. Uh, but I'm doing okay. Oh, I'm alive. I'm sorry, boo. <laughs> Gotta be happy I'm, I'm on so the other sorry, side of the dirt. Boo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I it guess happens. we have to be happy about that. I guess. <laughs> yes. It's I know. I know. I know it's hard. But um, man, yeah, the holidays. Here they are. They're yep. here. She's here. here. Christmas is back. Yep. When will when? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Christmas is back. The yet end of the year is here. 2021, the year we thought was going to be a year of reckoning and redemption has not been. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here we yes, are. Yes, everything, everything is not awesome. Uh, the Rona remix is here. A new remix has dropped. The Omicron yep. is here. Yep. And um, everybody is outside, uh, like almost like doing this virus their, didn't yeah, kill doing almost all a million people. Yeah. Yeah. Doing all the things. I went to I went to a holiday party tonight. Um, I don't know why. I was just there for the snacks, and the snacks sucked. But uh, people were like reaching their hands out. Oh my gosh! <laughs> they were like, "Hey, nice to meet you, Wendy." Uh, and I was like, uh, "Psych! I'm not shaking your hand." Omicron, <laughs> get that out of here! Get that shit out of here! Uh, so people are just playing. Like again, this virus is not deadly, and uh, like it's a big joke, which is crazy to me. Yeah, but it is crazy. Anyway, let's get into some listener. <laughs> Well, hello, angels. Thank you. Oh, thank you. What's in the bag, Beth? Well, I wanted to say thank you to Rodney and Kenny for your wonderful, inspiring messages. And to eat a bag of dick sandwiches. Whoa! <laughs> and Rosebud was taken for your five-star reviews. It's <laughs> folks like you that keep us going. So thank you so much. Thank you all so much. Hip Hop Air Horns to you all. <laughs> Yeah. And on that note, this is from Katie on Kofi. And she said, Wendy, I wanted to say how sorry I was to hear about that horrible incident with your son at the parade. That sounds absolutely horrific. And I'm sending Aww. healing vibes to your family. Thank you both so much for what you do. Oh, my God. Glory, tear and hip hop. <laughs> Thank you so much, Katie. That was really sweet. Yeah. Well, we got some new Patreons and, again, a Kofi donation from KT. Yeah. And uh, let me just read your names off real quick. Sarah M., thank you. Tiffany W., thank you. Megan W., oh, 
lots of W's. Uh, Katie again, and Tiha H. Tiha. Uh, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, apologies, but here are your tunes. Here we go. Oh, also hip hop air horns before I forget. <laughs> Okay, so it's beginning to look a lot like Sarah everywhere <laughs> you go. But the prettiest sight you'll see is the joy that Sarah brings on your own front door. <laughs> okay, next. Tiffany, this is for you. Rocking around with Tiffany. Later we'll have some pumpkin pie and we'll do some murdering. <laughs> Voices singing, let's do Molly. Thank you, oh Tiffany. <laughs> Doing drugs. Just kidding. <laughs> uh, so, um, Megan, this is for you. Megan is a dream come true. All I want for Christmas is you, <laughs> Megan. <laughs> okay, this next one is for Katie. <laughs> okay, crime scene with roses and bloodstains on mittens, weird alibis and clues tied up with strings. Katie's now one of our favorite things. <laughs> When the dog bites. <laughs> Thanks, Katie. <laughs> okay, and Teha H, this is not a Christmas tune, but I couldn't get this song out of my head. And this is um, this is for you. Okay. Send my love to Miss Teha. Thank you, Teha. Gotta thank you for loving our show. We both know we ain't basic hoes. <laughs> And that's for all of y'all. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> all right. Thank you, everybody. We're going to take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. I'm an American vigilante. I have a question for you. What would you do if someone you cared about was abducted, taken from you? Would you call me? Would you care about how I got them back? Download. American Vigilante, now. Twenty-four hours ago, I found out the person that I'd been dating and seeing for the last six months as a con man. That is my sister, Emma. Andrew Tonks' lies had been so convincing, she'd invested $300,000 with him. However, the tables were about to turn on Andrew. What he didn't know was that Emma had discovered his real identity. But to get any chance of justice, Emma had to act like it was business as usual. Coming up in this series, and that's when murder, all this stuff goes through my mind. I'm really, really scared. I'm assuming Sarah has watched too much Netflix and figures I've been defrauding you. Couldn't be further from the truth. 
that's what this was, a real life story that seems so unbelievable, but it was actually true. A true story that all starts with one simple swipe to the right. I'm Sarah Ferris. And I'm Emma Ferris. And this is my story, Conning the Con. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, <laughs> do you have an hour? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, <laughs> podcast, a very long time. And I actually do though, in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time to fess up. <laughs> it's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. So sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play best fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing best fiends. Ever heard? of it? Why, yes, I have. <laughs> I love best fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. Ooh. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. <laughs> now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. <laughs> there is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. All right, we're back. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Today we're talking about Yu Young Chul, a.k.a. the Raincoat Killer, South Korea's most notorious serial killer. So in our last episode, we discussed Yu Young Chul's early life and his life of crimes. He was a very diverse criminal, and beginning around the age of 18, he had a string of convictions for various crimes, including theft, selling illegal pornography, forgery, identity theft, and child sexual abuse for the rape of a 15-year-old girl. For these convictions, he served a combined 11 years in prison. Woo! 
Woo! Now, he married a woman who was a former masseuse with whom he had a son, but she divorced him while he was in a stint in prison. He later had a girlfriend who was a sex worker, but she too broke up with him once she discovered that he had a criminal record. For this, he held her prisoner, raped her, and tortured her for 36 hours. Yikes. Mm. His first known murders began in September of 2003 when he targeted elderly rich people. But once CCTV footage captured an image of him from behind, leaving a crime scene, he switched up his MO and began targeting street vendors and then finally sex workers. He fell into a pattern in which he would call a brothel to have a sex worker sent over to his place. They would have sex. He'd make noodles for them to share. Mmm, so romantic. Then, when she went to use the bathroom, he would grab his artisanal hammer that we told you about that he made specifically for the purpose off the shelf of the bathroom, then bludgeon her to death with it. He then dismembered the bodies to get rid of them. Now you're all caught up, and let's move on to the investigation and the arrest. What the what, Beth? On July 15, 2004, you had begun his typical ritual of calling a sex worker to come over and then killing her. But he'd become overconfident, or or maybe he wanted to be caught. I don't know. Ooh. And he made too many calls to the same brothel. What a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> so the owner of the brothel that he called that day recognized the number as belonging to the cell phone of one of the girls who had gone missing. You had apparently kept her phone and was using it to make calls. Come on now. Dumb. <laughs> After the call, the brothel owner called the police department who sent an officer over. The officer then went with the owner and a woman that they had set up to act as a sex worker in order to capture him. They followed the woman from a distance, but she ended up coming back, saying that he'd sent her away and said she was too tall. They decided to try again with a smaller woman. I got to say here, the idea of using women as bait is... So disturbing to me. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. much later, the investigators figured out that he must have been concerned with the total mass that he would have to dispose of after the murder because he was taking taxis to move bags of remains for burial in a secluded area. He was also mixing kimchi in the bags to disguise what? the smell. Oh, my yeah, God. I know. Disguise the smell of decomposing flesh when he ordered the taxis. <laughs> uh. That is nuts. Yes, indeed. When you called for a new girl, they tried again. He'd requested that she meet him in an alley, but she called the officers as she got closer to him because she said he seemed very strange. The officers came to arrest him and he had flyers from brothel ads <laughs> in his mouth what? that he was trying to swallow. What? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Yeah, you know, like uh, you write a note and you don't want anybody to see it, so you stuff it in your mouth to, to eat it. <laughs> ads, but, but this is, this is a, whole, ads. Like, okay. a whole a whole <laughs> 8 by 11 piece of paper, and it sounds like he had more than one, which is a lot of paper uh, yeah. to swallow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he then became very aggressive, and it took four or five officers to get the cuffs on him. So because of some comments that he made, they began to question him on the murders in the wealthy neighborhoods, though they really didn't have much to hold him other than the, you know, the cell phone that he had stolen from one of his recent sex work victims. At this point, all that was known was that some sex workers had not returned to work and that he had one of their phones. The victims from the brothels had not been reported missing, nor had their bodies yet been found. 
end, because similar to the way sex workers are disrespected in other cultures, there's a throwaway attitude towards sex workers in South Korea as well. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how uh, the profession as old as time gets such little respect. Yeah. Anyway, women in these kinds of jobs are often disconnected from family and many have been tricked or coerced into their jobs. So when they go missing, their family might not even know. The police didn't really care. And their employers are reluctant to report it because they are afraid they will get in trouble with the police. Police only became aware of the murders because you began to brag about how many people he'd killed. They asked him to make a confession, but he said he would only confess to his mother. So they brought her in to see him. Once they did so, he confessed to her that he'd killed a lot of people. She then fainted and had to be taken to the hospital. That's nuts, too. (laughs) That is nuts. I can imagine it would be shocking. And I was trying, actually, this is kind of unrelated, but I was trying to explain to my son unconditional love. (laughs) And the fact that even if he killed somebody, I would would still love him. I might faint and have to go to the hospital, but I would still love him. Yeah. He might go to jail, (laughs) but you'd still still love him. him. (laughs) So I just... Nuts that he wanted to confess to her in particular. I don't know. Psychologically, that seems significant. I don't know what it means, but something. Oh, my God. OG of true crime. Hang on a second. Wow. She does it again. (laughs) It, It does sound significant, right? That there's some. Not only has he undergone all this rejection from women, but there's a weird connection to his mother. Weird. (gasps) Well, just call us Wendy and Beth, true crime detectives. Anyway, (laughs) detectives weren't certain whether they had an actual killer or just a delusional person who wanted to confess to murders he had not done. So they decided to take him out to the scene of one of the murders done in the wealthy neighborhoods to see if he could confirm some of the details about it. He did go to the correct house where it had happened, but he intentionally gave some incorrect details. In hindsight, they think now that he was playing with them to get them to let their guard down. It worked because they became less convinced that he was the actual killer and became less vigilant in watching him. Tisk tisk. Now, after they brought him back to the station, you was able to escape police custody by feigning epileptic symptoms. The police officers holding him had removed his restraints because they thought he was having a seizure. <laughs> then he simply walked out of the police station when they weren't paying attention. He's Kaiser Sose. but you know what he used this tactic before when he'd been arrested for rape previously during that previous arrest he had walked with a limp and then faked an epileptic seizure oh my god after he was taken to the hospital he tried to escape I guess he figured, hey, why not try oh again? My, this really is Kaiser. You all seen the movie, right? Kaiser Sose, Kevin Spacey. Come on now. We all seen it. <laughs> yeah. Unusual suspects. Yes. That's what it's called. Thank you. OG, a true crime. I'm not going to stop. Even though he did succeed in escaping <laughs> this time, they were able to track him down and they re-arrested him 12 hours later. They had searched all night for him before one of the detectives thought to look in the red light district. And there he was about to cross the street when they spotted him. They had to use force to get the cuffs on him as he aggressively resisted arrest. Again. Jeez. Yeah. Again. After he was brought back to the station, they began asking him about the murders again. The first and only female detective in the department, Kim Hee-suk, was present, but he refused to talk in front of her. 
He wouldn't continue the confession until she left the room, though she was able to watch the confessions without him knowing from outside of the room. This is odd. Um, any thoughts, OG? Yeah, uh, you know, he seems to have issues with women, surprisingly enough. You don't say. Yeah. <laughs> so, through what? this interaction, <laughs> it became clear to detectives that he was uncomfortable around women. Once she left, he began to give very specific details on all the murders, to the point that it sounded like bragging. He told investigators about the burial sites of his female victims, and they took him to show them the sites. He had marked each one with a bottle cap so that he wouldn't accidentally bury in the same spot twice. Oh, how embarrassing that would be. (laughs) Oh, my God. Would you believe it, girls? Now, as they (laughs) began to dig the sites, it started to rain. So they put a raincoat on him while they kept him there to watch the excavations. Aha! (laughs) By this time, the media had gotten word of what was going on and began arriving. The media dubbed him the raincoat killer because of how he looked at the scene of the excavations. So he was wearing a raincoat. That's it. Got it. I've been wondering That's this whole, whole story time. Why? Now we know. It's so dumb. <laughs> am the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire let me tell you what you're gonna get you're gonna hear stories about demonic possessions prison stabbings skinwalkers glitches in the matrix cult leaders missing 411 night marchers operation paperclip mesopotamian devil worship and so many monsters it'll give kanye west a runaway for his money pop and meme culture also aren't off topic a camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance. That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test, sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. (laughs) As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. 
There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. So you talked calmly and freely about the murders in front of TV cameras, which broadcast him saying on national news, quote, women shouldn't be sluts and the rich should know what they've done, unquote. And I would say, fuck you, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And this part right here is written by Minnie. Okay. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. You. Ah! I wouldn't touch you. With a 39 and a half foot pole. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Now, because his victims were sex workers and had not been reported missing, I feel like we're having too much fun. And again, I'm sorry. It was difficult to identify them. Uh, Through sheer persistence, Detective Kim Hee-Sook, remember, she's the female detective. Anyway, she was able to get fingerprints from all of the victims at the burial site to identify them. The other investigators had told her it would be impossible that the flesh was too decomposed and that they would have to have DNA analyzed and wait 15 days for results. But she was determined to get their identities right away to get closure for the loved ones as soon as possible. Mm, Now, after trying 161 times, whoa, she perfected her technique on them and was able to get viable prints from all of them. She identified every single one. And as Jillian from True Crime Obsessed likes to say, let the women do the work. Get out the way. (laughs) Move, bitch. Get out the way. Let the women do the work. Yeah. A series of in-depth interviews with you began on July 26, 2004, behind iron doors in the Joint Investigation Room in the Seoul District Public Prosecutor's Office building. In order to keep you secure during the interviews, the investigators wanted to make certain that no outsiders would have any access to the room. They were also concerned that he might try to kill himself. So they had two prison officers seated next to him during the interviews, as well as a third one outside, making sure the door remained closed. They also had a doctor in the room next to the door just in case you had another quote unquote epileptic seizure, Nege. <laughs> the prosecutors weren't necessarily worried for his welfare per se, more so hoping to keep him alive to be able to determine his motives, as well as to obtain more evidence about the known murders and possibly more yet unknown ones and be able to get closure for more cases. He claimed to have a very high IQ at 140 and he confessed to 26 murders. He also discussed other Korean serial killers and how many they had killed. Of particular interest to him was the Wu Byom Gong case of 1982. He mentioned that Wu had killed 56 people, which he said was more than he had killed. He also expressed interest in other murderers in prison who were not given the death penalty, stating that he knew of 58 such murderers. He was interested in discussing a movement by the Yuri Party legislators of the time to abolish the death penalty in Korea. Interestingly, though, the death penalty still exists in South Korea to this day. There has been a moratorium on it since 1998, meaning that the executions themselves cannot take place. So a person can be sentenced to death in South Korea, but they will not be executed until the moratorium is lifted, if it ever is. The last executions in South Korea took place in December 1997 when 23 people, each of whom had murdered at least two people, were put to death. Wow. 
Just after his arrest, you indicated that he had originally planned to kill his ex-wife, but had decided against it because of his son. Instead, he went after women working in massage parlors, brothels that police turned a blind eye to or sometimes actively protected in return for payoffs or bribes, and illegal clubs, which were underground brothels that ran without police protection. If you recall, his ex-wife was a former masseuse. Oh, boy, oh, boy. Um, I hate this man. Anyway, police also said that you blamed his bad luck in life on the wealthy. And yeah. for this reason, had originally selected homes in wealthy neighborhoods in Seoul as his targets. At the time, some experts in South Korea were of the opinion that the current social climate held beliefs that the wealthy only became that way by stealing or by cheating others. So it wouldn't have been unusual for you to blame his bad luck on the wealthy. Kwok Dae-kyung, a police administration professor at Dongguk University at the time, said that in order to prevent similar events from happening in the future, there would need to be a societal shift in these beliefs and that there would have to be a social system of support created for those who felt alienated and discouraged. A psychologist had interviewed you at some point prior to the trial and said, quote, you is not mentally ill, but he shows typical signs of an antisocial disorder in which individuals establish their own unique belief systems and of, of distrust in social and moral norms, unquote. On the day of one of the later interviews, Yu was taken out of the building to be returned to his holding cell. As they escorted him, a woman ran over to him yelling that she was the mother of one of his victims and that her daughter would have still been alive had the police done a better job of investigating the previous murders and arresting him earlier. She's not wrong. No. As she got closer to you, the policeman holding you kicked her in the chest. Wow. What? Knocking her down. The police department explained the incident as being somewhat accidental yeah. in that the officer who kicked her was holding you with both hands. So his only option to keep her away from you was to kick her. Jeez. That's terrible. Mm -hmm. However, it was widely criticized by the public as it seemed a dereliction of duty to protect an accused killer at the expense of a victim's mother. On a message board at the time, someone posted, quote, I deeply feel sorry for the mother because the police failed to console her during her misfortune. On top of that, they kicked her, unquote. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. On July 29, 2004, you decided to stop talking to prosecutors and went on a hunger strike. The official in charge of monitoring Yu's mental state, Kim Jong-ryul, advised that he thought Yu's decision to stop talking and to go on the hunger strike were because he was slowly awakening from the delusional state that he was in when he committed the murders. To me, it makes more sense that he was just trying to exert some control over his situation, engaging in another form of manipulation. Agree! Yeah, that seems the most likely explanation. Yes. Kim Jong-Rail also said that, quote, serial killers like Mr. Yu commit crimes because they want to validate their own existence, unquote. He might be right about that one. From statements that he would make and his manipulative and controlling behavior, it seemed that he just liked killing and the specific motives were more of an afterthought. Yeah. Remember in the last episode, we referred to him as mur a murder addict? Yeah. Addicted yeah. to murder? Right. 
<laughs> so you probably also, by this time, figured out how important his statements would be towards his conviction and sentencing. Other than the interviews with him, there was not much for prosecutors to use. There was not much in the way of physical evidence for the murders, though the prosecutor's office did have a team of experts assembled at this point. This team included three professors of forensic medicine from Seoul National University, as well as experts from the National Institute of Scientific Investigation and the Supreme Public Prosecutor's Office. Whoa. Yeah. Lee Jung Bin, a forensic medicine professor of Seoul National University, analyzed the wounds found on some of the victims and compared them to weapons that the police had seized during their investigation. They focused on a particular weapon that matched the impact marks on the victim's skulls. This turned out to be the modified sledgehammer, what we've been referring to as his artisanal hammer. Yes, (laughs) ma'am. That you had built to fit his own grip. The handle had been made shorter so that it would be easier for him to swing to create the kind of killing blow that he wanted. They were able to pull DNA from his murder hammer that matched both you and the vendor that he'd murdered on Jay's son. DNA to the rescue again! Yeah. Now, they had also gone to his apartment, and even though he had scrubbed it, they were able to use luminol to see that there was blood everywhere, all over the walls. Got him! Wow. Detective Kim Hee-Suk looked up when they were there and found that he had forgotten about the ceiling when he was cleaning. So there was blood and flesh there as well. Whoa! Yeah, whoa. Oh my God, wow. Yikes. Uh It reminds me of, there was a TV, a made-for-TV show, it was uh, about a crime, Uh and a woman had been killed, and her parents stayed at the house where she'd been killed and the police had uh, used luminol in the Uh house. And when they got into bed and shut off the light, there was blood splatter everywhere from the luminol. There's Susie's remains on the ceiling. Yeah, I know. uh, I always remembered that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, so anyway. Well, thank you for that, Beth. Detective Kim Hee-Suk noticed the toilet paper roll holder and remembered that during his confession, he had described one exactly like it, on which he would hang the heads of his victims by the hair to allow the blood to drain from them before bagging them up. That evidence, along with his confessions, were enough to charge him. My soul just left my body. Wow. <laughs> that, yeah, okay. Well, now we're going to... I keep saying that's it, nuts, I, but this whole this, story is It nuts. is. Oh, my God. Francis, Francis, thank you for suggesting yeah. this one. We'd never heard of it before, and boy, we're just going <laughs> to keep going. So now it's time for the trial. Uh, it's it's Wendy's ghost talking. Now, on August 12, 2004, you was indicted for 11 charges of murder, arson and corpse abandonment. The murders of 21 people were included in the charges. During the testimony, he confessed to having eaten the organs of some of his victims to, quote, cleanse his spirit, unquote. Though investigators found no evidence of this, so he may have invented this detail. He also said that had he not been caught, he would have kept killing and might have killed a hundred more people. He spoke as if he were justified in killing. Okay. The prosecution theorized that he had killed elderly, wealthy people out of a hatred that he developed in his impoverished childhood. It was clear that the motive wasn't greed because he didn't take anything from the homes of the wealthy while he had been in them. 
They also theorized that he then switched to killing women who worked in massage parlors or illegal clubs out of a hatred for them as well. More specifically, hatred of both his wife who had divorced him. She was a former masseuse, a.k.a. sex worker, and later a girlfriend who was a sex worker and declined a proposal of marriage from him once she learned of his past history of arrests and incarceration. You first appeared in court on September 6, 2004. He apologized to the families of his victims, but maintained that he had no intention of stopping his murders. Two weeks later, during another appearance, he lunged at three judges and tried to recant his confession. Oh, God. Wow. Wow. Why, sir? (laughs) The majority of the case was supported by his confession, as there wasn't a whole lot of physical evidence. You claimed to have kept a murder diary, though prosecutors were unsure if such a thing actually existed, as you was known to embellish and would sometimes change his statements. You was supposed to appear in court on October 4th, but he had attempted to kill himself the night before and refused to attend the hearing. Three weeks later, at another hearing, he went after a spectator who had hurled curse words at him. Whoa. After this, yeah, after this, they made him sign an agreement that he would not disrupt the courtroom again. You think that's going to stop right. him? <laughs> uh, <a> piece- <laughs> okay, I'll sign the piece of paper and then do whatever the fuck exactly. I want. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> The prosecutor's office requested the death penalty on the case on November 28, 2004, and you apparently thanked them for it. Oh, my God. (laughs) And then on December 13, 2004, you was found guilty by the Seoul Central District Court and was sentenced to death. He was convicted of 20 murders, one case having been dismissed as a false confession. The prosecutors later appealed the verdict so that they could add that murder to the conviction, but the Supreme Court upheld the verdict sometime in 2005. So now we're going to get into where are they now? Hit it, Beth. Well, you is currently 51 years old and is incarcerated at Seoul Detention Center. His execution has not yet been carried out because of the ban on executions, but he remains on death row. He has no remorse for his crimes and still believes that he is the most intelligent person in the room. But he forgot about the ceiling. Get the fuck out of here, most intelligent in the room. Anyway, <laughs> Captain Kim Yi, uh, Kim Hee Sook <laughs> is now the director of forensic investigation at the Seoul Metro Police Agency, overseeing all investigations as an expert in fingerprint identification and is no longer the only woman on the force. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. So now we're going to get into what we think made him snap as well as our takeaways. What do you got for us, Beth? Well, I think the prosecution kind of covered it. Yeah. Um, He was brought up in poverty and had an abusive father. Mm -hmm. The economic inequality in South Korea is a major issue as well as the lack of safety Mm -hmm. nets, uh, the class stratification and difficult socioeconomic situation alienates the young and gives them a sense of hopelessness. We talked about the Sampo Sede or Sampo generation, meaning the three giving up generation and how it goes all the way up to 10 when they completely give up on life. Mm They're giving up their hopes and dreams of a better life for themselves. And I think hopelessness can foster anger and rage. And I believe this applies to you. Uh It's not an excuse, just an explanation. But I also think he's probably a narcissistic psychopath. And that did not help. Uh Oh, oh, gee, true crime. (laughs) She's coming after us. (laughs) 
So it was really interesting to me how deliberate he was from his artisanal hammer down to changing his MO right. when he thought the police were onto him. Uh-huh. Most serial killers can't do that because they they have certain things that they need to do to get something out of the killings. Satisfaction. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yes. And mm-hmm. but this guy appeared to just enjoy killing. However, it took place, although um, he did like his hammer. He did. <laughs> so that was one thing that didn't change. He he used that hammer. Right. Um, but I think it it uh, it did become kind of like an addiction. Yeah. He was angry. He felt disenfranchised. He hated women. And uh, it just he liked it. He liked killing. He liked it. He did. Yeah. A lot. Uh, so I will say that this guy is the motherfucking worst. Yeah. Um, I think that there was a series of things that led to this. I agree with Beth 100%. Um, uh, the his his background, his family of origin, all those things, um, his economic status. And his initial crimes were interesting because they were crimes of survival, right? Um, he mostly just started out robbing people. Um, right, but then right. it definitely escalated. Um, yeah. I'm also under the impression he thought very highly of himself uh, and almost nothing of other people, yeah. which is why I have to agree with you when you say, did you say psychopath? Narcissistic psychopath. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's what I said. Yep. And hard <laughs> agree. Um, I also wanted to. Um, I, the artisanal hammer gets me every time. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and at least he was consistent there. Um, <laughs> also, I wanted to mention. I looked into sex work in South Korea a bit. Um, after hearing it, uh, the word on a podcast that we shouted out last episode, the word bottle ba- bottle bang. And I apologize if I'm not pronouncing pronouncing it right, but it literally translates into business trip massage therapist. And in the early 2000s, the Korean Ministry of Gender Equality said that one of 25 young Korean women may be engaged in the sex industry. And others say that the numbers are actually much higher than that. But the Korean, the South Korean government passed this anti-prostitution law prohibiting buying and selling sex and shut down a bunch of brothels, or if not all of them. Yeah. And then shortly after that, that people who worked in the sex industry, you know, did a demonstration and protested um, this law because it threatened their livelihood. Right. And um, some of I wanted to bring this up because some of the sources called use victim sex workers, but um, not all of the victims loved ones agreed that they were sex workers and didn't believe that was an accurate depiction of them. Hmm. So just speaking of the surviving family members and of the victims, um, this crime, obviously, according in Francis, our, our fruity, um, confirmed this, that this this crime, this case had a profound effect on the victims, but also the citizens and communities of South Korea. Right. Um, so we can't we can't forget about that. Right. So this was really fascinating. Hello, this is Dr. Grande, the host of True Crime Psychology and Personality. On my podcast, I explore and explain the pathology behind some of the most horrendous crimes and those who commit them. We discuss topics like narcissism, psychopathy, sociopathy, and antisocial personality disorder from a scientifically informed perspective. 
What is a narcissist? How do you spot a sociopath? What signs can you look for to protect yourself from these dangerous personalities? It's not just about the stories, but also the science and psychology behind them. So if you're interested in true crime or mental health, I'd encourage you to give my show a listen wherever you get podcasts. Now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. (laughs) (laughs) This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Well, it's the holidays and it's robbing season. (laughs) That's right. It's robbing season. Hide your kids, hide your wives and all the belongings you've got. Uh, just a few. I'm going to read through these and these will be in the show notes, but um, so I'm not going to read them all. OK, so uh, when you're out shopping, park in a well-lit area. Um, be sure to locate your keys before going to your car so you're not distracted in the parking lot. Lock your vehicle and your keep your valuables out of view in the trunk. Stay alert. Head on a swivel. Uh, If you carry a wallet, keep it in your front pocket. And if you wear a purse, keep your purse in front of you. If you're traveling, um, put your mail on hold and ask a neighbor to watch your home. Don't broadcast your vacation on social media. Um, Get an automatic timer for light bulbs. Um, Avoid aggressive and angry driving. Um, Plan extra time to get to your destination. Keep everything locked if you can. And just uh, when you're throwing away all those boxes that Santa has left you, Santa's black, by the way, (laughs) be sure to tear down all the gift boxes before putting them in the recycle (laughs) bin and trash. Yeah. Uh, Now it's shout out time where we shout out any content by or about any marginalized or othered um, groups of folks or any true crime goodies. I've got both a podcast called Black Girl Gone. Hmm. Uh, It's hosted by Amara and it tells the stories of missing and murdered black women and women of color in America. Wow. Also, I just, if you need some laughs this holiday season, there's this great show on HBO called Southside. And it's, you know, we hear about Oh no, South Side of Chicago, all the black people are killing themselves. But this is just about South Side people, the black people in South Side just living their lives in a hilarious way. So check out South Side. What do you got, Beth? Awesome. I'm going to check that out because I need me some comedy. <laughs> You Yes, girl. Get it. Get all of it. What do you got? So I wanted to shout out that uh, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is on Disney Plus now. Oh, I love it. I love it. Love it. We've watched it five or six times. It's so good. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So the film tells the story of (laughs) Shang-Chi, a martial arts master trained by his father at a young age to be an assassin as part of the Ten Rings organization. Shang-Chi, played by Simo Liu, who's very handsome, by the way. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yes, he could get it. Bye-bye, old whitey. (laughs) (laughs) He leaves the organization and begins a new life in San Francisco, but then his past comes back to haunt him. And the film also stars Aquafina as his friend Katie, who, in my opinion, steals the show. (laughs) Yeah, she's good in it. She's awesome, yeah. (laughs) Also, again, watch the latest season of Homicide for the Holidays on Oxygen, specifically episode two, Six Slays of Christmas. It's also available on Peacock now, and you might see someone whose voice you recognize. Oh, who could that 
be. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, watch it. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yes. All right. Fantastic. So that is Shang-Chi on Disney Plus and also Homicide for the Holidays, especially specifically The Six Slays of Christmas on Peacock and Hulu and Oxygen.com, as well as the podcast Black Girl Gone and uh, for some laughs, South Sad on HBO. Right on. Well, that's it for today, Beth. Huh. Where can the people find us, my dear? <laughs> our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod, And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash App. Just Google Fruit Loops Pod Cash App. Or you can become a monthly patron through Podbean. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. And as always, we have merch for sale on our website. That's right. We hope to see you at CrimeCon this year. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, y'all. It's crazy out there. So when the scammer uses the hypnotic method of building rapport, then they create dysfunctional, delusional reality. That's how a scam begins, convincing the mark that it makes perfect sense to hand over their money to a con artist. The Scams and Cons podcast tells you how scams are run. You'll hear how people are convinced to buy fake art, buy machines that print money, or steal your house. I get a phone call from my wife and she let me know that they had decided to move all our stuff out. I can no longer do anything about it except go through an eviction. And you'll hear it from the experts, people who run the cons. So we go to your bank, you go in and get 6,000 cash, give us each 3,000, we give you this. Uh -huh. You go home and what you find out is cut up newspaper. It's fun to know how the trick is done. And that's what Scams and Cons is all about. Listen at scamsandcons.com or wherever fine podcasts are found. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. and. Give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.